0: Africa rise and shine Africa
1: thora Africa amka na unai
2: You are tuned into Africa Rise and Shine on Channel Africa, the African perspective, and we are broadcasting live from Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa and 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to far west Africa, as well as on DSTV's audio bouquet, Channel 802. A very good morning to you and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. My name is kakishu atsaketelo in studio this morning with amanda machaka Tabiso solohoko and fikile lingwati your top stories this hour kenyan opposition leader raila odinga condemns deadly hotel attack in nairobi british prime minister teresa may survives no confidence vote one third of un workers say they have been sexually harassed in past two years in your economics news african union offered land for multi-billion dollar wakanda village project and in your sports news South Africa's national under 20 team coach pleased with overseas-based players but first here's Amanda Machaka with the news
3: good morning the death toll in Tuesday's terrorist attack in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, has risen to 21. The Inspector General of Police, Joseph Boynet says six bodies were pulled out of the building on Wednesday, hours after President Uhuru Kenyatta announced that the operation had been called off. Meanwhile, police say they have arrested two people in connection with the attack. Political analyst Hassan Kanenji says Kenya is doomed to be experiencing this sort of attacks and the real problem remains across the border in neighbouring Somalia.
4: On the ground in Somalia, al-Shabaab is still very present. The existence of ungoverned spaces within parts of Somalia is a fertile ground for these groups to thrive and the fragility of the national government in Somalia is not helping. The porous nature of our borders makes it easy for Al-Shabaab to cross over to Kenya and actually launch attacks. In addressing this, there has to be a collaborative effort between the countries within this region.
3: Former South African President Thabo Mbeki has called for dialogue in Ivory Coast. This follows the release of former Ivorian President Laurent Gbagbo from the International Criminal Court for Crimes Against Humanity. Mbeki says they welcome the development which they hope will contribute positively to Ivory Coast and its pursuit for sustainable peace, national reconciliation and justice. During his presidency, Mbeki mediated in the political standoff in Ivory Coast. The main opposition candidate in the forthcoming presidential election in Nigeria, Atiku Abubakar, says is concerned the polls may not be free and fair. With just weeks to go until the election, Abubakar has called on the international community to ensure the credibility of next month's election.
5: We are working
6: hard, and that's why I appeal to the international community. Also to work together with us to make sure that the elections are not only seen to be free, fair and credible, but they actually are.
3: The death toll from the latest outbreak of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo has passed the 400 mark in the east and northeast. Health authorities also confirmed 237 cases of persons cured, with a further 200 suspect cases still under investigation. The health minister has noted a positive trend in the epidemic in Beni, with no new reported cases in the eastern city in a region that is also caught up in violence blamed on Islamist rebels from across the Ugandan border. In December, the United Nations said children accounted for one-third of Ebola cases in DRC. And finally, South Africa's Commission of Inquiry into State Capture is expected to continue its proceedings in Johannesburg this morning. On Wednesday, former Chief Operating Officer of Company Busasa, Angelo Agrizi, testified during which he unravelled corruption, going as far as admitting to wrongdoing while he was in charge of the facilities management company. Mbali Tetanu reports. Former Busasa CEO Angelo Agrizi is expected to continue with his testimony this morning. He will reveal to the commission some of his evidence submitted with video clips, sound recordings and photos implicating various high-ranking government officials. He has since told the commission that former SAA board chairperson Dudumieni previously shared confidential information with him about an NPA investigation into Busasa. Agrizi says as he gives his evidence, he will implicate himself and fit th- others. Chairperson for the Commission, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, says all implicated persons will be dealt with in a fair manner and will be given an opportunity to apply for leave to cross-examine. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machak.
0: Africa, rise and shine.
1: Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na unahe.
2: It's Thursday the 17th of January. Welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Your top story this hour. Kenya's opposition leader, Raila Odinga, has visited the scene of the terrorist attack west of the capital, Nairobi. Odinga's visit coincided with reports that Kenya police detectives are tracking down people suspected to have aided the terrorists to carry out the attack that has claimed the lives of 21 people. James Chimanyula has more from Nairobi.
1: During his visit to the scene of the terrorist attack, Kenyan opposition leader Raila Odinga poured praise on the security men and women that worked like a strong team to ensure that the terrorists are eliminated. As Odinga spoke, the security team was busy combing the scene of the attack for traces of concrete evidence.
6: We are uh, satisfied with the work that has been done by our security forces up to now and what they're continuing to do as things stand now there's still a lot of work to be done to clear the scene so it is not as safe as it were to move inside those premises
1: Odinga saluted the security team for swinging into action swiftly with the express purpose of neutralizing the attack and eliminating the terrorists.
6: If it had not been for the swift action of the security forces, many more lives would have been lost here. So we really thank these people for what they did, how they acted so professionally to come and save lives here.
1: Odinga had this strong message to al-Shabaab-backed terrorists.
6: This act will not intimidate or cow the people of Kenya. If anything else, they help us to strengthen our resolve ...to fight against international terrorism. We will turn t- together as a people king... ...and in solidarity with the rest of the world... ...the war against international terrorism. Terrorism will not pay... ...and will never succeed... ...and it can never be allowed to succeed. We shudder at the audacity... ...of taking away lives of innocent people. Just like at the Westgate and several other incidences you have lost very innocent lives as the people of kenya
1: and this is how kenyan opposition chief raila odinga described the people that perished in the terrorist attack
6: those who have died are our heroes in our war against terrorism we condole with the families who have lost their loved ones one of our colleagues here honorable donate mohammed the mp for Suna East has lost a cousin in this.
1: Asked by a local journalist to expound on the fact that security personnel are still in the place of the attack, Odinga's answer was thus and to the point.
6: They're telling us that uh, there may be still some grenades which are there. They have detonated some and there are still some bodies which are still there. There are some terrorists who have been eliminated. Today, but there are still some people who are in the rooms. And once they've cleared the passages, then they, they're going to call these people to come out so that they, they can identify themselves and come out. So at the moment, uh, the figures that we have are tentative, and, um, but they say we are confident that those who are still there, who are trapped, their lives will be saved. That's the reason why they're taking all the care to ensure that nobody goes the harm's way until the whole operation is over
1: when another journalist wanted Odinga to disclose the motive behind the attack he said
6: first we, we don't know the motive and I don't want to speculate here that will come out through the investigations first I want to disown version and the propaganda being spread that this has to do so with Islam this has nothing to do with Islam Islamic faith is a faith that preaches peace love and unity
1: the third question that odinga was asked by another journalist related it whether or not terrorism has something to do with the religion
6: terrorism is just terrorism it has nothing to do with religion some of the victims here are muslims so it has nothing to do with, with religion terrorism must be fought internationally
1: that was kenya's opposition leader Raila odinga who visited the scene of the terrorist attack west of the capital Nairobi reporting for Channel Africa this is James Shimanyula.
2: meanwhile Kenya has thanked the United Nations and the broader international community for its words of comfort and expressions of solidarity with its people and government following the terrorist attack on a Nairobi hotel on Tuesday Kenya's ambassador to the United Nations Lazarus Amayo speaking in an informal session of the UN General Assembly
7: We are grateful to our security forces and personnel that uh, were able to have quick and effective response uh, to end the terrorist attack It is unfortunate that as a result of these barbaric act 14 people 14 innocent people lost their lives Uh, as a result of a suicide bomber and the shootings. But we thank God that um, it is over and all the attackers were eliminated and every efforts are being made to assist those who are injured during this particular unfortunate development. Madam President, it goes on to remind us that terrorism is a global phenomenon that has no geographical or political boundary. We were just looking at um, the figures for 2017, 2018, 10 cities were attacked, experienced terrorist attacks and that is why Kenya will continue to work closely and encourage working closely with other member states in tackling this global phenomenon because it requires concerted efforts of all members of the international community to contain it.
2: That's Kenya's Ambassador to the UN, Lazarus Amayo, speaking in an informal session of the UN General Assembly in New York. British Prime Minister Theresa May has survived a vote of no confidence in her government by a majority of 19. The motion was called by the opposition Labour Party after a humiliating defeat of her Brexit plans. Despite a larger rebellion of Conservative MPs voting against the government's Brexit withdrawal agreement Tuesday evening, on Wednesday they voted with the government to keep Theresa May in power. Catherine Drew reports from London.
8: Well, another vote for Theresa May Wednesday evening, but a very different result.
9: The eyes to the right. 306, the no's to the left, 325.
8: By a majority of 19, she defeated Labour's motion of no confidence. On Tuesday, her Brexit withdrawal agreement was defeated by an unprecedented majority of 230 MPs. After the confidence vote, she vowed to work across party lines to work out a Brexit deal that Parliament could support. We have a responsibility to identify a way forward that can secure the backing of the House. To that end, I've proposed a series of meetings between senior parliamentarians and representatives of the government over the coming days. However, the Labour Party have threatened to continue to table motions of no confidence in the hopes of triggering a general election. A week ago,
9: the House voted to condemn the idea of a no-deal Brexit. Before there can be any positive discussions about the way forward, the the government must remove must remove clearly, once and for all, the prospect of the catastrophe of a no-deal Brexit in the EU and all the chaos that would come as a result of that.
8: So far, Downing Street has refused to reach out to Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn, angering many in that party who have accused Theresa May of not being serious about reaching a consensus. Despite winning this confidence vote, Theresa May's problems are far from over. She remains stuck between those in her own party, who remain divided on whether they should push ahead with Brexit, ask people to vote again on the issue or leave the EU without a deal, something many experts say could cause chaos. All this comes as the clock is ticking down to March the 29th, the day the UK is due to leave the European Union. Catherine Drew, London.
10: Africapitalism is about the intersection of economic prosperity and social wealth. On the 21st of this month, the Shared Value Africa Initiative Summit will take place at Lili's Leaf Farm just outside the city of Johannesburg in South Africa. High-powered business people of all ages will meet to strategically assess the challenges facing business on our continent and set an agenda for 2019 to 2020. If you cannot make it, do not worry. Join Channel Africa from 1100 hours to 1200 hours Central African time for live coverage of the event. Together, we can create the Africa we want and build shared value ecosystems across the continent to grow the Africa economy for all. So join us on the 21st of January for the Shared Value Africa Initiative Summit. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective.
2: A survey on sexual harassment at the United Nations has found that one in three respondents experienced sexual harassment in the workplace in the past two years. The online survey, conducted by Deloitte last November, was completed by over 30,000 people working for the UN and its agencies, but represents just a fraction of those eligible. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, wrote in a letter to staff that the safe space report contains some sobering uh, statistics and evidence of what needed to change to make a harassment-free workplace a reality for all. Sherwin Bryce Pease reports from New York.
11: The safe space survey was administered online in six official UN languages to obtain information on sexual harassment within the global UN system. A total of 30,364 staff and non-staff personnel from across 31 entities participated, a response rate of just 17.1%. Stefan Duzeric for the Secretary General.
12: It found uh, that the the UN was basically in line with a lot of other uh, other institutions, uh, the response rate was, I think, about 17, 17 uh, percent, uh, which is on the low end, uh, but according to the contractor who conducted the survey, is also within uh, within the, the margins. It's also important to say that it's the first such uh, first such survey, which gives the UN system a kind of benchmark on which to monitor uh, uh, on which to monitor progress.
11: of respondents said they were subjected to sexual stories or offensive jokes. 14.2% received offensive remarks about their appearance, body, or sexual activities. Almost 11% experienced gestures or body language of a sexual nature that offended them, while just over 10% experienced touching, which made them feel uncomfortable.
12: This was a survey of the whole UN system, Uh, as asked for by the Secretary General. This is part of his overall efforts on combating sexual harassment, which is something he's really been doing uh, since, uh, since day one. The findings
11: show respondents who identified as female, transgender or gender non-conforming reported the highest prevalence rates by gender, while respondents who identified as lesbian, gay or queer reported the highest prevalence rates based on sexual identity. More than 58% of respondents said they experienced sexual harassment in the office environment, while it was also found that two out of three harassers about 68.4% 68.4% were male. Only one in three people said they took action after experiencing sexual harassment. Dujeric with more.
12: It should be seen as part of his overall commitment to combat sexual harassment, which means, you know, creating uh, new posts in internal investigations. I think six new investigators were hired, all women, uh, to ensure that all complaints of sexual harassment were upgraded to what we call uh, category one opening up of, of helplines, creating a system-wide um, kind of uh, employment check to make sure that people who have been found, um, uh, found to have committed harassment in one part of the system, they're not rehired in the system. And I think most of all in addressing the power imbalance. Uh, and that's where his, his push on gender parity comes in.
11: The United Nations has focused its attention in recent years on addressing sexual abuse and exploitation against its peacekeepers, while the Secretary General has adopted a zero-tolerance approach to sexual harassment within the organization. I'm Sherwin Brice in New York.
2: Zimbabwe Nationals living in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, Pro- protested outside the Zimbabwean embassy, calling for Ambassador Isaac Moyo of Zimbabwe to update them about the recent developments in their home country. The country has been embroiled in violent protest following President Emerson Nangawa's petrol price increase announcement. They demand, among others, the unblocking of internet services, which was allegedly blocked by the government. The protesters have also called on SADC to intervene. Here's Clement Mat- Matlangu with a report.
13: The gates of the Embassy of Zimbabwe were blocked with a heavy police presence keeping a watchful eye while hundreds of Zimbabwe nationals protested outside. They say they have lost confidence in their president, Embassy in Mnangakwa. This after he announced a petrol hike which sparked an outrage in that country. The alleged shaming of the internet services has also raised concerns. President of the Voices of Zimbabwe, Shinginal Runganga, says the ambassador's no show will only make the situation worse.
5: So we came here to ask them peacefully to come and talk to us what we want. Even okay. they don't want now want they move move refuse you. to
9: come.
5: And then as we are giving another time frame, we asked again, no, we are asking you in peacefully. Can you please come and address us? If you don't come Friday, we are going. Hungaliza oh Lewis, or everyone in South Africa. We mobilize everyone in South Africa, every Zimbabwean in South Africa, from Cape Town, from anywhere.
13: President of the Ideal Zimbabwe Party, Dinache Jonas, who also attended the protest, criticised President Mnangagwa for this crisis.
5: So we came here. To ask them peacefully to come and talk to us what we want. If they don't want we now they refuse to come.
8: And then, as
5: we are giving another time frame, we ask again no, we are asking you in peacefully can you please come and address us? If you don't come Friday, we are going.
13: The protesters have vowed to continue with their protest until they get attention from the embassy. Perry Nakani took part in the protest outside the embassy. He blames President Mnangakwa for all the troubles their country is facing, saying he makes lives difficult for all Zimbabweans living in and out of that country.
5: Our president is ignorant. Our president is doing nothing to us. How can you put fuel price on that price, $3.11, from $1.39? Is that possible? Our government is uh, ignorant. Check, right now we are here at the embassy to give our words. We are asking the ambassador to come out and tell us what is happening at home. He even ignores us. He don't want to come out. The next stage, you are going to bend that thing.
13: I'm Clement Masangu, Pretoria.
2: This month, the Cuban Revolution turned 60. For six decades, the country has been led by one of just two men, Fidel Castro or his younger brother, Raul. Then, last year, Raul stood down and a new leader, Miguel diaz Canal, has taken over. Among his first acts has been to draft a completely new constitution and an accompanying set of legal decrees. But far from being a set of modernizing relaxations on the state-run economy, some appear a throwback to a period of hardline communism. In fact, one of them, Decree 349 for regulating the art world, was described by Amnesty International as dystopian. Will Grant reports from Havana.
14: This is the Malecon, the waterfront promenade in Havana. And it's here that the revolutionaries can be seen in grainy black and white or early colour images rolling into Havana victoriously on a wave of popular support. Though the leadership here would never admit it, today most of the young people sitting out here on the Malecon are far more concerned with trying to earn a decent wage in Cuba than they are with Castro's revolutionary zeal. Oscar Fernandez Mel was one of those bearded revolutionaries who came into Havana that January to the adoring crowds. A captain in Che Guevara's front, he went on to become mayor of Havana and ambassador to London. Today, he fears the revolution is losing the island's youth.
15: We have to move We have to advance. We must make sure we can offer work to the young people in the areas they have studied in, because we have created an educated workforce.
14: Loads of young people with university
15: degrees, but they are stuck and asking, what now?
14: The anniversary of the revolution comes as the island's leadership is pushing through a new constitution. It includes steps like recognising private property, but a much-heralded move to legalise gay marriage was omitted after vocal opposition, particularly from the church. Furthermore, the word communism, which had been removed from Cuba's stated aims, was quietly reinserted. The document will go to referendum in February. Critics say the Cuban Communist Party only intends to concentrate power into its own hands. As well as the new constitution, a set of controversial new decrees have also been passed. Some of the most draconian, such as limiting people to just one private business license, were reversed or watered down. One, though. Decree 349 is still causing a lot of anger.
16: Opponents
14: say the measure will give the state the right of prior approval over artistic exhibitions, performances or any public display of art a group of anti-government artists turned out in December to protest against
3: 349. The
14: demonstration was uncompromising, smearing themselves in feces outside the newly refurbished parliament. They were swiftly arrested, but certainly made their point. The Cuban government has been mounting its own defence of the decree. The former culture minister Abel Prieto took questions at a rare press conference and Fernando Rojas, the vice minister of culture, has said amendments would be made. He denied that under 349 culture inspectors would be able to enter private homes and artists' studios. Investigations would only be carried out, he said, if a complaint had been made.
3: They have opted to limit and restrict for a greater degree of supervision and control.
14: Most private gallery owners, though, remain unconvinced. To them, and the artists who exhibit in their spaces, the whole move smacks of censorship in its crudest form. Sachi Hernández runs the Arsenal Gallery in Old Havana.
3: The Culture Ministry told us that Decree 349 wasn't against art or artists, wasn't against creativity, wasn't going to co-opt the artist's freedom of expression, But it's difficult to interpret the wording and the spirit of this decree as anything other than that when it speaks of introducing culture inspectors, when it lists the kind of content they are going to be watching out for, when it uses such ambiguous language as defending the morals of the socialist society.
14: The government has criticised reggaeton popular music genre in the Caribbean for its provocative lyrics, raunchy videos and overt displays of consumerism. Often produced in home studios and distributed via memory sticks, it doesn't sit well with the revolution's hardliners, no matter how popular the music is among the people. Not long after taking power, speaking to intellectuals about cultural criticism, Fidel Castro said the famous line, Within the revolution, everything. Against the revolution, nothing. Sixty years on, it seems that same basic principle still
15: applies. Kedu, <laughs>
4: Ndemne. Bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African Time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African
13: Time.
2: half past eight central african time amanda is standing by with your news headlines
3: thank you good morning Al-Shabaab claims responsibility for the deadly attack on a Nairobi hotel and office complex in retaliation for U.S. President Donald Trump's declaration of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The death toll from the latest outbreak of Ebola in the DRC passes the 400 mark and 600 arrested in Zimbabwe's harsh crackdown on protests. Details at the top of the hour.
2: As the UN's International Year of Indigenous Languages begins, ancient mother tongues under threat of extinction across the world need to be seen as a symptom of a much wider struggle. That's the view of one leading linguistics professor in New York, Danielle Kaufman, who founded the non-profit Endangered Language Alliance, focusing on immigrants whose languages are dying out. UN Radio's Matthew Wells speaks to him about some indigenous community members who say their whole identities are increasingly at risk.
9: The UN estimates that 40% of the world's 6,700 or so languages are in danger of disappearing, most of them spoken by indigenous peoples. Although the UN's determined to highlight the value of language as essential to individual identity, cultural history, and memory throughout 2019 and as a huge strategic resource in the global fight against climate change and sustainable development, it's national and local governments that need to act before it's too late, says Daniel Kaufman.
17: Governments uh, would much rather support a, a, a small language program and give people the feeling that they're supporting their culture rather than do something difficult like land reform and uh, really support autonomy in in a more significant way but if if we want the languages to live on we really do have to support autonomy for indigenous people and let them live in 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 a way that that can really uh, sustain and, and make the languages grow
9: so it's appropriate for the UN's host city, perhaps the greatest linguistic melting pot of all, that New York City Hall is the venue tonight for a celebration of Garufina heritage, just one of the endangered languages that's been protected and hopefully incubated today. Let's find out a bit more about Garufuna and what this gathering tells us about whether there's much appetite here to keep diverse languages alive.
18: Um, the preservation of the Garufina language is our utmost and most important important task right now because our youth they assimilate to other cultures and languages so it's a battle to get it going but the elders they're fluent so um, we're here today to show ourselves as Garifuna I'm dressed in my full Garifuna outfit (laughs) to come and represent you know my people and I hope that um, by others seeing what we are doing that they'll um, become more interested in speaking the language. Everybody should be preserving their language. You know us Garinago people, we are indigenous. And United Nations, you know UNESCO because of UNESCO coming in to help us preserve our language I believe that we will continue to speak Garifala. In English, it says, I for you, you for me. In Garifuna, it says, So that helps us to keep each
17: other, you know, together. Now let me tell you about the things we eat. Or food.
14: When I was young or small... What we ate was tortilla.
9: Garufuna is native to Central America, but it's rooted in Caribbean islands such as St. Vincent and the Grenadines to the east. The language you've just heard is from what is now Mexico. I'll let Maximilian explain.
17: I am Maximiliano Bazan. I'm a mystic. I come from the state of Guerrero, Mexico.
9: Just tell me what you're working on here today in the uh, ELA uh, office.
17: Trying to translate uh, the Misteq language to English.
13: You use the Spanish, the Spanish word, or is there also a
17: Misteq word know, for it? We use Spanish.
4: Uh-huh.
13: This
17: race
12: came in at a, at a later time. Yes, correct.
9: The Endangered Language Alliance, or ELA for short, is based in the heart of downtown Manhattan, and many of the city's estimated 800 spoken languages are in danger of simply dying out. Some of the most in peril have just a few speakers left. Daniel Kaufman and his researchers, who are patiently trying to preserve dying languages for posterity in these cramped offices, believe they have an ethical responsibility to try and keep them alive.
17: I'm the co-director of the Endangered Language Alliance, and here we are at our headquarters on 18th Street in Manhattan, New York. A linguistic laboratory... Yes, I don't know if it's a laboratory, but it's uh, a center for people to uh, record their languages, to study languages, also to hold classes for languages that aren't taught anywhere else.
9: I mean, do you think New York City is probably the kind of biggest repository of you know, different languages, endangered languages of any of any urban area in the world? Is it, a, or would that be too much? No, I don't think it's too much. I think it's uh,
17: true actually because New York. Uh, has a kind of unique position in terms of migration. It it uh, has extremely even immigration from all parts of the world, which really makes it different from most other global cities. We found over the last uh, few decades especially that many speakers of endangered languages have been immigrating here, and uh, the immigration itself is actually endangering the languages.
2: That report by Matthew Wealth of UN News. The Department of Home Affairs in South Africa's Mpumalanga province is grappling with issues of undocumented children and people with blocked identity documents. This was revealed by South Africa's Minister of Home Affairs, Siabonga Kwele, during a visit to monitor the levels of service delivery in the province. Eric Lubisi has more.
18: Good.
19: So you spend some money. Yeah. I hope
18: you enjoy the
4: holiday. Minister Tguele interacting with the public at the Libombo border post between South Africa and Mozambique. His visit to the province was aimed at investigating service delivery levels. Tguele also visited a newly established one stop border post that has been introduced as a pilot project at the border to ease the congestion. The Libombo border post is the busiest point of entry in the province. He expressed satisfaction with the level of service rendered. People
19: are not documented, especially children. Who are school? Some of them were getting removed from school because they don't have proper documents. Because the parents don't have all the necessary documents. We have agreed with the counselors can and the department green, that green will come back to deal with this having visas, so that we can explain what are the procedures to be followed. Because if one parent is a South African, their child can be registered and have the birth certificate as a South African.
4: He proceeded to the department's offices in Bombela and white river well added that office working hours have been extended
19: we have extended them because this time is a time where our children are going back to school and uh, there's a huge demand for birth certificates that's why we've been operating until seven o'clock but we're also saying that for the voter registration weekend our offices will be open
4: those receiving the department services held the officials for efficiency. I've
3: been here for about 45 mm-hmm. minutes, you know, it's, you can see it's busy, but it's so far it's going pretty well. It's not a problem, I haven't been waiting too long. Uh, it was very fast, everyone was helpful, so yeah, had a great experience.
20: Have you been here before?
3: I have been here before and they have improved because it was full, it was packed. Nothing was going. We didn't know where to go. But they have improved a lot. Because today, just took about an hour to finish everything that
4: I came here to do. Well, also stated that Home Affairs offices have a pile of identity documents that needs to be collected. Eric Lodisi in
2: Bombela. Some parents in the Majeje area outside Palabora in South Africa's limpompo Province have expressed unhappiness about what they call discrimination against their children. Parents say some learners have been denied admission as their parents are Mozambican nationals. The Majeje High School has been closed down for two days. Parents also want the educators to end corporal punishment. The provincial education department has condemned the matter. Jabulani Baloi has more. Parents want an end to discrimination against their children
20: based on the origin of their parents. This after allegations that some learners were denied admissions at Majaja High School at Lulekani as their parents are Mozambican nationals. Schooling was stopped for two days. Some parents, Alfred Twale and Kululeka Shongwe, said this cannot be accepted almost 24 years into democracy. There
4: were some other kids or learners whom they've chased them away, saying that they're from Mozambique, while that's a, a citizen of South Africa. You don't have the right to tell that particular person that, no, you are discriminated, you are from Mozambique. We are all Africans, so we can't just allow the, uh, those people to be discriminated. They're our bra- brothers and sisters.
21: There is no person that can be called a Mozambican. A Mozambican is a country. That is tribalism. We are against it, and we will fight against it until we prevail.
20: Education Department spokesperson Sam Makonda says... Almost all schools in the area are overcrowded as parents prefer some schools over the others.
4: This matter had nothing to do with the fact that these children are treated because they are born of uh, Mozambican parents as alleged. But it had to do with the fact that the children's school is already full and the school was recommending other nearby schools you know, for these learners to be taken to.
20: The parents have also called an end to the administering of corporal punishment at the school. Twala and Shongwe explain.
4: They are using corporal punishment. You can't just cl- uh, slap a child with your bare hands, which means we are fighting with that particular learner. We can't just allow each and everyone to just slap a child with his his. Hand. Corporal punishment is not longer existing. They must stop immediately.
21: Corporal punishment is very high in this school because the person who's promoting it is no longer using a, a cane or something else but his physical bare hands. We no longer want to hear something like that
20: in this school. The department has promised to investigate the matter against a number of schools in the area, Makondo explains.
4: The department has uh, received allegations of um, certain schools in the Palawala area that still administer corporal punishment. This is going to be investigated urgently because those that are doing it are breaking the law and there must be consequences for breaking the law.
20: Meanwhile, the education authorities have promised that the affected learners will be admitted on Thursday. I'm
2: in Palawala grammy award-winning group ladysmith black mambazo has visited different schools in inkomazi in south africa's bumalanga province to motivate learners to work hard the visit forms part of the ladysmith black mambazo mobile academy program the aim of the program is to provide aspiring young musicians with an opportunity to learn from the group Mtobisim mkalipi reports oh,
21: just a few days before they leave the country for their concert tour in the USA, Ladies Meet Black Mambazo performed in the Ngomas area in Pumalanga. They visited four schools to demonstrate to learners their singing skills. The group received a warm welcome from the pupils. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Their message to us was like to make sure that we focus on school and not let drugs, smoking weed or all of that stuff like disturb us. I feel very excited and also I feel like I have people who will bake me up like on this like adventure that I'm about to take. We are very excited that Black Mambazo visited us. It told us that we have to focus on our studies and we can also make it.
21: Speaking on behalf of the five times Grammy Award winning group, Seni Shabalala says they believe that sharing their story with young people will go a long way in motivating them to make their dreams come true in music. Our dream for being here is because we have a program called Ladies Black Mambazo Mobile Academy where we go around schools, we go to our communities, to empower, to tell the, the story of Lady Smith Black Mambazo, how it started, how we succeeded, so that we hope that by telling the young ones, they will learn from that. They will catch uh, something that will help them in whatever their dreams are. A accompanied by a local group of Isidgatamiya called Good News. A member of Good News, Meshak Kosa says they will take over from where the Lady Smith Black Mambazo left off and visit more schools, to inspire young people who
2: want to become Isidgatamiya musicians. Music of Grammy Award winning South African group, Ladysmith Black Mambazo, ending that report by Mtobisi Mkalipi. It's now 15 minutes to the hour 9 Central African time. And Tabisilohoku is standing by with your economics news.
10: Good morning. An estimated 12,000 South African man workers affiliated to Union AMCU will embark on a secondary strike at Sibanya Stillwaters' Platinum Operations in Rustenburg in the northwest province. This in solidarity with their fellow union members, whose strike has entered nine weeks at the company's gold operations on the West Rand in Gauteng province and in the Free State province. AMCU's president, Joseph Matunjoa.
21: This second strike is what we normally call the sympathy strike. It's to support our comrades who are on strike at the gold sector, which I think now it's about nine weeks with their on strike. And then the arrogance of uh, uh, Neil Froneman is what has uh, provoked our members to take this decision, reason being that he is not feeling the pinch of the strike at the gold.
10: Zambia and Zimbabwe have jointly offered 2,132 hectares of land to African Union for the first SADC multi-billion US dollar Wakanda One Village project. Zimbabwe offered 2,000 hectares of land while Zambia brought forward 132 hectares. Zambia made its offer in March last year and Zimbabwe's offer was confirmed by AU ambassador to the United States, Arikana Chiombori. Equal, at the Intra-African Trade Fair, which was held in Cairo, Egypt recently. The Wakanda One Village project will be constructed in Victoria Falls area, which borders Zambia and Zimbabwe. According to media reports, the project will serve as a first of its kind in the southern African region. Ugandan president Yoweri Museveni has criticized the telecommunications regulator after it slashed MTN Uganda's fee for renewing its telecoms license. Local media reported that the Uganda Communications Commission had decided to charge MTN Uganda, which is owned by South Africa's MTN Group of 58 million US dollars to renew its license for 10 years instead of 100 million dollars originally set for the renewal. MTN Uganda is the country's biggest telecoms operator. The Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation says that the country has earned $640 million from crude oil and gas export in the month of October 2018. The corporation disclosed this in its monthly financial and operation report for October 2018 released in the capital Abuja on Wednesday. The total export receipt of $640.3 million recorded in October was higher than $527.7 million, launched in September. The double-NPCA report added that the receipt showed $450.4 million accrued from crude oil sale with gas and miscellaneous receipts standing at $173.9 million. The South African Reserve Bank is expected to announce its interest rate decision this afternoon. In November, the central bank raised its benchmark repo rate by 25 basis points to 6.75%, surprising markets. South Africa's Reserve Bank Governor Lesetja Khanyahu said keeping interest rates on hold in November last year and waiting for inflation developments to unfold this year would have raised the risk of a more aggressive interest rate hike in the coming months. Economist David Ruat.
11: Looking at the South African economy, there are a number of factors that uh, really change for the better. Uh, some of these factors include things like, for example, the recent strength of the rand, the significant fall in the petrol price, and also the Americans indicating that they're probably not going to increase interest rates at the rate previously expected. Now, all these factors put together uh, probably means that the Reserve Bank is not going to increase interest rates again. I think the Reserve Bank is going to leave the repo rate unchanged, but there's still the possibility of further increases later this year.
10: The U.S. dollar is trading at 362.19, Nigerian Nara, 1028, Botswana Pula, 101.2, Kenyan Shilling, and 1187, Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar will cost you 372 Brazilian Roll, 66.64 Russian Ripple, 70.95 Indian Rupee. 6.76 Chinese yuan and 13.70 South African rand. The U.S. dollar is trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,292, platinum at $802 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $61.10 a barrel. From an African perspective.
2: And now over to Figuile Linguati with your sporting news.
0: First up in our sports update, we're serving off with uh, tennis news. Milos Raonic overcome Stan Wawrinka in four sets after a battle of tie breaks to reach Australian Open third round. Stan Wawrinka started off with much more intensity than 16th seed Milos Raonic. Wawrinka took the first set, but then the Canadian started to find his rhythm. Raonic then won two consecutive tie breaks to go 2-1 up in the second round tie. The Canadian secured his sport in the third round with 6-7, 7-6, 7-6 and 7-6 victory. Milos Raunic. It
19: feels like four hours passed by in about 15 minutes. You forget about a lot of it very quickly. It's uh, sort of the heat of the battle. The adrenaline takes over. You try to do everything you can each and every point. I was very fortunate to stay alive in that fourth set. Made the most of it there. You know, four tie breaks. Three of them went my way. You know it could have gone any other way and i'm thankful that i was able to play a good match and play good in these moments and enjoy this atmosphere here as well
0: and a total of 27 out of 34 players who have been called up for the south african under 20 men's national football team and their preparations for the africa cup of nations under 20 tournament have responded and ready to fight for their final places in the squad Among the players to have raised his hand for the local camp, which started on Monday in Leicester City's attacker, Kanyali Shabani. Amajita head coach, Thabo Sinong, who is going to his third consecutive AFCON under 20 years more on this final camp.
16: The camp comprises of two phases. So the first phase is the local camp that will be based in South Africa. We'll spend five days in Nelsprate and play two friendly games there. And then uh, the final phase will be uh, completed in West Africa possibly in, uh, in uh, Senegal so that we can get one frenzy against the uh, under 20 Senegalese team so basically that is just the structure of our preparation and it's our day 2, it's our second training session today, 27 players reported and uh, 2 are just finalising their passport documents just uh, 5 minutes away here at the Home Affairs. and uh, we are expecting another uh, 2 players tomorrow who join us in Bombela, and from Leicester also. Um, he had to honor his final under-23 game as well. So these are just some of the late-coming...
0: The South African Premiership side, Mamelodi Sundowns, beat Maritzburg United 1-0 in an after Premiership match played at Loftus First Fest Stadium in Pretoria last night. Sundowns dominated the match, but lacked cutting edge up front. Captain Trompo Gigana scored a cracker in the 55th minute to seal maximum points from Gaston Sereno assist. The PSL champions moved to third position on the log with 28 points from 14 matches. Sundance coach Peter Misimani says experience won them the game and on to cycling news luso ac dc's chris joste used the experience of his team's victory in stage five of the Mpumalanga cycling tour last year to help him win the corresponding race in this year's event the race took place at stage six not five due to an individual time trial having been slotted into the tour as stage two however the stage had to be shortened from 97 km to 82 kilometer due to safety concerns after a vehicle accident caused diesel and oil to spill onto a section of the road. Last year, Luso AC DC's Calvin Beniki beat Harvey Combrick in a two man sprint finish and just a one in similar fashion, beating office guru's Alexander Worsdale to the line. And lastly, with the motor racing. Qatar's Nasa al atia virtually wrapped up a third Dakar Rally title yesterday, as Stephen Peter Hansel's hopes of a 14th triumph on the world's most grueling race suffered a painful end. al Atia driving a Toyota claimed his third stage of this year's event and will head to today's final 112-kilometer run into Lima with an overall lead of 51 minutes, 27 seconds over mini-driver Nani Roma, who was second on Wednesday, almost five minutes behind on the day. That's your Sport News, this hour. Africa, rise and shine.
1: Africa, Zorba. Africa, amuka na unai.
2: Your top story this hour, Kenyan opposition leader Raila Odinga condemns deadly hotel attack in Nairobi. And with that is a wrap from the Africa Rise and Shine team. That is myself, Karishos Ketelo, our producers Pomozo Ramagaza and Komotsomo Pulane, technical producer Mario Edwards, and of course the rest of the team. We do thank you and appreciate you for listening. Our, our email address is info at channelafrica.org. Our WhatsApp line is 2776 we We'd love it if you'd get in touch with us. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Zozo with a song titled Lufuno.